Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in productivity and professional development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, and I'm happy to bring you this bonus episode, which will help give you ideas and resources so you can build your professional development plan. Well, I'm fortunate today to have a conversation to share with Jim Taylor, who's the Vice President of Leadership Initiatives at BoardSource, which is a national organization that's all about excellence in nonprofit governance and board and staff leadership. Well, not only does Jim share many of the great and free resources that BoardSource offers, but he also shares the expertise he's developed, particularly on diversity, equity, and inclusion topics that frankly are more relevant to us now than ever. Um, There are three things you should listen for in this episode. Number one, listen for the ways BoardSource can help you and your organization navigate COVID-19. Number two, Jim is going to help you understand how the pandemic affects these issues of equity, what exactly they are, and what you can do about it. And finally, Jim has some great advice that's shaped his professional journey, and I'll know that it will also help shape yours as well. Given all the resources Jim talks about, uh, don't forget to check the show notes in particular for this episode, number 35, Just go to the podcast or the news page at pattonmcdowell.com and you'll find all of the resources Jim and I discuss, as well as links to uh, more about Jim and the great work he's doing at BoardSource. Without further ado, please enjoy this bonus conversation with Jim Taylor. Jim, thank you for joining me on the path. Patton, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Well, I'm excited to have this conversation with you because not only do you represent the wonderful resources available to our listeners through BoardSource, but you know, your professional journey, Jim, has been one that has allowed you to accumulate some great expertise. And I know you're going to be able to incorporate that into what we discussed today. So thank you in advance for that. And maybe start with that. How did you get on what I would call the nonprofit path? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's it was it's been a, a bit of a winding road in some ways. Uh, when I think about the the nonprofit path and really the path of my career, um, I really started on the for-profit side in, in terms of my work with Fannie Mae, where I led um, lots of program development initiatives that were designed to provide access to home ownership to uh, minority communities, underserved communities who might not otherwise have access. Um, to home ownership, um, as not only as uh, as something that speaks to um, building wealth, but also really provides a sense of individuals feeling really invested in their neighborhoods and in their communities. Uh, so I was very much focused on affordable housing to start. Um, I moved over to Capital One, where uh, I led Capital One's philanthropic initiatives in the D.C., Maryland, and Virginia markets, and that work was really where I got much more connected to nonprofit to nonprofits because I manage relationships with about 70 nonprofits in the DC metro region in affordable housing and education and asset building, um, small business development, financial literacy. And so all of those areas also spoke to um, really the low to moderate income audiences that nonprofits serve yeah. and make sure that they had access to opportunity in all of those, all of those areas. Um, my work with AARP was really my first role on the nonprofit side. And my role there was to lead uh, AARP's national, national outreach to African-American audiences of age 50 plus, particularly as it related to uh, health, wealth, and quality of life, um, particularly as it related to, to health disparities between whites and African-Americans, uh, yeah. uh, as well as the wealth gap that we see in this country where um, whites on average have about 10 times the wealth of African-American audiences. Um, so that work was very much, again, in the nonprofit space and also about providing access to opportunity. Uh, my work at uh, Fairfax County's um, Office of Public-Private Partnerships was actually a racial equity-oriented job because Fairfax County, Virginia has enacted a policy called One Fairfax, which is all about making sure that all Fairfax County residents have the same access to live and work and thrive in the county. Um, which again speaks to quality of life for everyone. 
And now here at BoardSource, where I lead uh, BoardSource's uh, external outreach as it relates to diversity, inclusion, and equity, particularly speaking to nonprofit boards, to commit them to action in that space, to, to help them see the urgency of, of more diversity in composition of boards, more inclusive cultures, and more of an equity focus in the work that boards and nonprofits do. And so uh, that path that I just described is, is sort of a, it's a nonprofit path, it's a for-profit path, it's got a little bit of local government involved, but I think my, my I've always gravitated to the, to the work of nonprofits and I've, I've served on nonprofit boards and, and continue to do so. And so uh, that's kind of how it's all evolved. <laughs> it's fascinating as I knew it would be. And again, I think it's so relevant to our listeners as nonprofit leaders, they are indeed having to combine kind of corporate influence, nonprofit issues and programs, as well as often governmental and municipal uh, relationships. And so you have been in all of them, which I know gives you a great perspective that you'll share even more today. And of course, some of the issues that you've talked about a diversity inclusion, uh, as you know better than many, um, have only been exacerbated in this current, current COVID-19 situation. So I want to talk about that. But before we do, Jim, you and I kind of laughed about uh, a, a guest feature is I'm always asking, how do you stay organized? And now that you're in a work from home environment, <laughs> has that changed your uh, skills or tactics to, to manage all of the things that are coming at you? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's interesting. You know, I would say that uh, the tools that I use or the tactics that I use to stay organized are still the same, but with a, di with a different emphasis. So as an example, um, very much focused on making sure that I use my Outlook calendar to its to its fullest extent, you know, making sure that I've got my meetings on my calendars, make sure I have reminders to myself about deadlines that might relate to incoming requests from my board source colleagues or from external stakeholders, um, just getting notifications on my calendars. All, all of those things are really important, particularly at a time like this when we're physically separated from each other um, as, as colleagues. Um, making sure that I have a, a, a list of tasks that I want to accomplish uh, on a, from day to day. Um, yep. I often put that list um, at the end of the day for the next day. And just the simple act of creating the list helps, you, helps me to think about what's most important from day to day and, and just kind of keeps me focused on those, those things that, really, um, that I need to really prioritize. Um, the, the last thing I'll mention in this space, though, is something that... Um, that I really think of in relationship to the, to the moment we're in right now, where we're working from home, many of us, and we're trying to focus on the work we're doing while also really having to really make sure we keep an eye on what's happening around us in, in society right. now with the, with the pandemic and all the stresses and concerns that we all bring as human beings um, to this moment. And so the, the thing I would just call out in this moment is that um, it's important to take breaks when you need them um, within the spirit of just extending some, extending grace to yourself in this moment, understanding that you, it's hard to stay focused on everything that you're doing. It may be hard to stay focused on the work that you're doing from in every moment, and you might need to take breaks just for your own sort of um, mental or emotional release. You know, take a walk. Um, just step, get away from your desk, from your computer for a couple of minutes to just get outside and come back in. And, and you might find that you're, you've, you've had a reset and you can re-engage on the tasks at hand in a way that you might have struggled to if you, had, if you, if you were so um, sort of focused on being in sort of a tunnel vision mode where you're in front of the computer, you're working, but just not giving yourself the space, um, the space that you might need to be as creative and as innovative and, and thoughtful as you want to be. Uh, so those are just some things I would call out in, in this moment, particularly. Such good advice, Jim. And I've had a couple other conversations on the podcast uh, with that exact point, because you're right, it's easy to fall into a tunnel vision lifestyle when home and work blur together. And all of a sudden you're sitting at your computer screen for hours on end, and that's not good for any of us. And so I'm glad you lifted up as a, frankly, a personal productivity uh, tactic mm -hmm. that we all need to, to follow. Um, Absolutely. Well, let's get into the, 
the topics you're seeing. I guess I'll open with the, from a board source perspective, you've got members all over the place. Have there been any particular headlines that emerged? I mean, I know everyone is nervous about their funding streams, but is that indeed the headline you're seeing or are there other issues that have come about maybe as a result of COVID-19? Well, yes, um, this, uh, this pandemic has created lots of unique and, and unforeseen challenges for nonprofit leaders uh, and, and the communities that, that they serve. And um, what we've seen um, is, a, is a variety of questions and concerns that come in from our audience um, in, a, in lots of different areas. Um, just to give you some examples, um, we have gotten lots of questions inquiring about um, board meetings and bylaws and policies and procedures, particularly as they relate to, to virtual meetings. As you can right. imagine, in this moment, when in-person meetings are not um, possible, not feasible, um, nonprofits really want to know about um, best practices as it relates to um, virtual meetings, so that they can still serve their missions in this in, in an adapted way right now. Um, lots of focus on the issue of crisis communications and planning, uh, particularly as it relates to, to business continuity planning, telework policies. Um, communicating even more clearly in this moment. Um, there have been lots of questions around the COVID-19 legislation um, as it relates to the CARES Act, um, payroll protection program, those, those sorts of issues. Um, there's been a lot of interest in really understanding the role of the board, particularly in a moment like this, uh, as it relates to how can the board really um, be most effective in serving the organization um, and in supporting the CEO, uh, really just being, letting the CEO know that you are there for them, um, offering to help, asking probing questions to, to help the CEOs see, um, see what might be around the corners uh, in anticipation of scenarios that, that could, could happen. So Jim, I was gonna ask you on that point, board members, I guess, skirting the, uh, not micromanaging their executive directors, but being, I guess, strategic thought partners. Is that kind of what you're getting at there as to what's, what is the appropriate role for a board member? Absolutely. Being strategic, strategic thought partners and being supportive from, from the standpoint of um, not, not saying to the CEO, here's what, what I would do in this situation, um, but really saying to, asking the probing questions, letting the CEO do their, do their job um, in terms of leading the organization, in terms of a management perspective, right, being there to support and and let them know that uh, you're there for them, that you're behind them, that you are partnering with them, um, in in this moment uh, is really important. Excellent. Um, well, and I know you you've already mobilized a lot of these resources as an organization on virtual meetings, crisis communication, advocacy. Uh, I assume that's where you'll direct us to Board Sources website, among other places to, uh, I guess, translate your resources into practical tools for nonprofits to use? Absolutely. Um, I, I would definitely want to call out the fact that we have, um, we've created a special um, website page that is dedicated to, to COVID-19 resources. Um, <clears throat> I want to give a, a shout out to my colleagues on the member uh, education and outreach team who have done such a wonderful job in that space um, in terms of highlighting our own resources and, and curating other organizations resources that are particularly relevant to this moment for nonprofits. Um, we have expanded our, our ask an expert uh, feature, which is typically available only to members, uh, board source members, but we've expanded now to everyone. Uh, nice. So respond to questions on any of these issues we're talking about um, that relate to, um, to, the, to this uh, pandemic and, and how nonprofits should respond. <clears throat> we have, um, we posted blogs from our staff and from external external experts on key issues. And we have a share your story feature where um, nonprofits can um, submit their stories about how their organizations and how their boards are responding. Um, and we can share these stories of success and innovation and resourcefulness. And in doing so, provide a path that other, other leaders may choose to follow as well. I'll just add one other thing that's, that's, a, that's been particularly helpful, and that is that um, we have begun having uh, Facebook Live sessions with uh, leaders um, to discuss 
the key issues that we're talking about. Um, the role of the CEO and the board chair in a crisis. Um, nonprofit legal issues stemming from COVID-19. Right. Um, business and contingency planning, um, fundraising strategies, all those sorts of things are the types of things we've covered in Facebook Live sessions. Um, and uh, I invite uh, listeners to, to go to our site or to, or to go to our board source uh, Facebook page to access any of those sessions as well. That's uh, excellent. And again, among the many resources we'll lift up. Um, and speaking of the expertise you're putting on the website, you yourself, Jim, uh, wrote a very thoughtful and insightful piece about the issues related to nonprofit boards commitment to equity. Talk about that. What does that mean? And, and what should nonprofit boards be doing? And I guess this is to my earlier point, you lift up the fact that COVID-19 is exacerbating many of the issues affecting our communities. For sure. Yes. Um, I, you know, nonprofit boards commitment to equity, while always important, um, has definitely taken on an even heightened importance during this pandemic, because as you noted, Patton, um, there is, there has been and continues to be a disproportionate impact of the pandemic on marginalized communities, uh, people of color, uh, the, the poor. I, I mentioned earlier the the issue around the wealth gap in this country um, in terms of whites on average having 10 times the wealth of African-American families and, and seven times the wealth of Latinx populations. Um, there's also a health gap where communities of color are less likely to have access to affordable health care, um, more likely to live in substandard housing with, with poor air quality and less space for social distancing. Um, there's the issue of pre-existing conditions such as heart disease, lung disease, diabetes, that again are more prevalent among communities of color and disadvantaged communities. All of these things making uh, marginalized communities that much more vulnerable to COVID-19. So, so I wrote a blog, as you, as you noted, um, a blog on this topic that, that is called um, what, what Board Commitment to Equity Looks Like in This Moment. And it really speaks to these issues and suggests um, a lot of equity-focused questions that boards should be reflecting on as they consider equ equity issues in relationship to the external communities that they serve, as well as equity issues that are internal to the, to the organization. So from an external perspective, as boards look outward to the community, they should be asking themselves questions like, what are our organizational values and, and do they prioritize equity in a way that should guide our decision-making process in this crisis? Right. Uh, are we bringing the perspectives of the most impacted members of our community into the boardroom as we make decisions? Um, have we solicited input from key community stakeholders to guard against adopting strategies that might have unintended consequences? Those are some of the external sorts of questions that we suggest boards ask themselves. And then from an inter internal perspective, um, I've already noted the importance of boards really being there for the CEO and um, asking thoughtful, constructive questions um, that help the CEO um, to, to see around corners and, 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 and see things that may be on the horizon. Checking in with them just as, as human beings and just say, asking how the CEO is doing in this moment, um, just recognizing that this is a really challenging time. Making sure that the organization is prioritizing the health and safety of every staff member, um, including those whose health might be the most vulnerable. Um, and making sure that the organization um, is, is taking steps to make sure that it's not regressing in its own racial equity journey in this moment in time. It, it could be right. it's quite easy. It could be quite easy for organizations in this moment to, to act quickly and to, to take on certain things as crisis issues that need to be acted upon immediately and to leave behind some of the racial equity um, journey and the steps the methodical steps in that process that um, could just get lost in the, in, in the rush of other things that are happening right now. And we urge organizations not to do that and to in fact be that much more focused on making sure that anything they decide to do um, is decided in a context that includes um, thoughtful consideration of an equity lens and, and context. 
It makes perfect sense. And you're right. As much as there's urgency around certain elements in our nonprofit organizations, you're right. We can't lose sight of some of those fundamental issues you describe. And of course, Jim, I know you and BoardSource were before this pandemic were an advocate of a more effective, I guess, nominating process for boards of directors. Is, is that still among the tactics you would lift up? Because it doesn't it start with, as you just noted, that we have adequate representation on our boards to allow us to have conversations that are truly representative. Well, that's so true. Uh, and in fact, um, you know, we, one of the things that we, we track quite closely is the level of representation uh, and the level of diversity uh, in nonprofit boards. And we track that largely through our biennial survey called Leading with Intent, which um, looks at the emerging trends and issues in nonprofit leadership and governance. And based on our last Leading with Intent, which was released in 2017, our survey indicated that uh, about 90% of nonprofit CEOs are, are white and about 84% of nonprofit board members are white. And that more than one quarter of all nonprofit boards are entirely white. Um, that's based on our survey from 2017. Right. And when you can see that, um, you have non-diverse leadership of nonprofit organizations trying to address issues um, of populations that they're serving that are quite diverse. Um, and so, that leads to a scenario or an environment in which there's a likelihood that there could be blind spots in the strategies and actions that an organization might um, decide to undertake. And in doing that, those strategies and actions, not only could they stall the progress that you're making, but they could actually inadvertently cause regression um, in the progress that you're trying to make. And so we believe that having boards that are more diverse in composition, inclusive in their cultures, more equity focused in understanding how they operate within the larger societal context. Uh, we believe that those boards are, are, are really much more effective because you're having a much more diverse range of viewpoints in the room, which leads to, in the boardroom, which leads to um, better strategic decisions, more engaged conversations, more constructive debate, um, and also um, an environment in which every board member knows that their opinions and are valued and appreciated um, based on that board member's skills, experiences, uh, lived experiences, and, and, and expertise. So, so we really believe that um, as it relates to the whole, whole nonprofit sector and the focus on trying to advance the public good, we believe that it is impossible to advance the public good without a commitment to diversity, inclusion, and equity in the sector. And you're right. And, and I hear so many, I think, boards that um, unfortunately fall victim to a kind of self-fulfilling membership. If we are largely white board of directors and we tend to nominate amongst and within our own social circles, then of course we're uh, creating that uh, inappropriate majority, I guess, as you just described. So um, I think you and I have talked before about tactical ways we can add diversity because there's such talent. I I'm here in Charlotte, North Carolina, and um, there are communities of color and, and organizations that have access to talent that is representative, but yet many of our nonprofit boards are not tapping that. Have you tactical ways organizations have created a better diversity of their board roster? Yes, and, and, and I'll touch on something you just said. I, I think the, the organizations that are having the most success in becoming more diverse are organizations that are not just doing, not just approaching board recruitment in the ways that they've always done it. Um, as you say, I mean, for boards that are primarily white, um, if they look, if those boards are looking primarily within their closest sort of inner circles for potential candidates, very often those candidates will be very much like themselves, what will be other white leaders in the community. Um, and so what we uh, urge is that organizations do something different, uh, do something different by um, reaching out to local chapters of 
uh, ethnically focused professional organizations, national black MBAs, um, Hispanic Bar Association, local chapters of organizations like that, where you'll right. find diverse members, diverse members who um, bring the skill sets and uh, competencies that your board needs. Um, in addition to the to the different lived experiences that those candidates uh, can offer. We also believe that boards should consider posting um, board positions on job on job websites. It, you know, organizations often think about obviously posting job uh, postings, but you can do the same with board postings and post great point. Right on, on, on sites um, that attract diverse uh, individuals. Um, as well as, and, and in those postings, emphasize that, you know, your board is looking for diverse candidates. You can, you can say those things and really introduce yourself to organizations and to individuals that might not have otherwise known about your organization or might not have otherwise thought that they would be um, the individuals that your board might, might want to bring on. So just expanding the circle, I think, is, is the way boards um, should look at this. And I would just add one other point that relates to, to how boards approach this. I think it's important that every board member sees this as part of his or her responsibility and, yeah. to, and does not just look at this as um, a situation in which perhaps a, a diverse, a, a person of color uh, on that board takes on the whole responsibility for making that board more diverse going forward. Everyone should have a role in this. Everyone should be thinking about bringing new candidates for consideration. Um, that's how it really gets done. When it becomes part of the board's culture to, to think more inclusively, to, to expand its thinking, expand the circle, um, over time, um, boards can, can achieve significant results. That's such a good point. And you're right. I, I think I've seen and been part of boards where we're guilty of leaving it to the nominating committee if there is such a subgroup, uh, let them figure it out. Or if we have diverse members of the board now, then just assume, well, they'll figure it out, right? They'll use their network and that's unfair as well. Mm -hmm. For sure. Well, you know, Jim, you have, uh, are serving, have served on a number of boards in the the Metro DC area. Um, Are you seeing some unique opportunities and or approaches from any of the organizations that you're working with right now? Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I, I would say um, one of the boards that I serve on right now has definitely become more diverse in the last, I'd say, well, I've been on that, this board for about three years and um, it, has be, it has definitely become more diverse um, over the course of those three years. And, and I, I do think it speaks to the idea of expanding the circle, um, reaching out. Um, in this case, it's the city of Alexandria, Virginia, and, uh, and, and I, the board I'm referring to is, is Carpenter Shelter, a homeless shelter in Alexandria. And as a board, we really thought quite constructively right. and, ver- and quite intentionally about how to become more diverse. And we've reached out to um, lo- a local uh, African-American um, Baptist church where there are lots of leaders in the community that attend that church and we've, we've brought on a, a person or two that's been affiliated there. Um, we've reached out to local um, sort of leadership groups in, in the city um, that, are, so, that have um, Afri- lots of young African-American up and coming uh, leaders. Uh, we, we've, so we've identified those leaders and reached out on a couple of occasions to those leaders. Excellent. So we, yeah, so we, we really try to, to, um, to do things differently. I, I do think uh, we've definitely done that, and we've named it as something we wanted to do. Um, and, and, and the other thing I would note in the case of Carpenter Shelter is that we have begun our own um, racial equity internal work, working with an outside consultant to look at the entire organization's operations internally and externally to see what more we, can be do, we could be doing to um, create an equity-focused culture within, within the whole organization, board and, and staff. That's fantastic. And I appreciate you sharing that because, again, from a board source perspective, you give a kind of global uh, concept and teaching, if you will, but you also have put it into practice um, at a direct 
organizational level. And I'm delighted that you shared that. Um, let me shift gears a bit with you and, and talk about something board source I know addresses and, and I'll use this refrain I hear from executive directors and I'll mm-hmm. let you comment on it. You know, the refrain is either my board is really disengaged and I, I suppose there's a real risk of that in our current situation because understandably board members are dealing with their own lives and businesses. Um, so how do we deal with the disengaged board? And then the other side is the, the micromanaging board, you know, the other extreme that I hear on occasion. And again, this comes from the executive director perspective often. Either I can't get them to pay attention or they're, they're really in the weeds. Um, so I wonder, Jim, if you'd comment on that and perhaps how BoardSource sees that and uh, ideas to how to address it. Sure, sure. Yes, I would agree that um, we often hear both sides of that coin in terms of executive directors who feel that their, their boards are disengaged or the other side of it being executive directors who feel that uh, their, their boards are, are micromanaging. And I think it's really important um, in both scenarios for, for boards and executive directors to, to see the line between governance, which should be the board's focus, and management, which should be the executive director's focus. Um, and so once you just establish that line, it becomes a bit clearer to see where the responsibilities fall. And so from a governance perspective, and, and, and so from a governance perspective, we, we say that boards should really be focused on big picture issues like determining the mission and purpose, um, ensuring effective planning, monitoring and strengthening programs and services, um, ensuring adequate financial resources, those sorts of things that speak to oversight uh, in, in the governance space. Um, while the, the executive director is leading the staff, managing the organization, um, leading and managing the fundraising, um, building external relationships and serving as an advocate, the sorts of things that are more directed to the day-to-day management of the organization. Um, and so we, we, we tried to make that sort of delineation and, and hopefully that is something that can then create the space for, for board members to understand kind of where the line is and where they can, they can add the most value. Um, I'd also say when it comes to, to boards that are not engaged, it's, it's important from the beginning when you're recruiting to, um, to make sure that potential board members know the full expectations and requirements, um, that they know what the board member job descri- description really is, um, that they have a, a good, strong um, orientation, to, just as they would have for a new job, an orientation to discuss the roles and responsibilities of being a board member. Indeed. Those sorts of things can happen it, beforehand um, to sort of set the expectations and set the foundation. And then once they're on board, um, making sure that um, board members stay connected to the mission. Uh, making sure that there are what we refer to as mission moments where with, with the board members, you can share program impact data or, or stories, hearing from program staff, um, or even better, um, hearing from someone who was immediately impacted positively by the organization's work. I've, I've heard a lot, a lot lately about organizations that are being much more intentional about either bringing the board out to the community or bring someone from the community in to meet the board. Absolutely. Connection. Um, and that helps to for boards to see the, the, the tie between the importance of their work and the impact on the community. That's three uh, very helpful tactics because you're right. I don't think we're consistent as a nonprofit community in clarifying the job description, providing an orientation. Um, sadly, Jim, I've had conversations with board members who will make uh, a comment to the extent, I, you know, I love the organization, but it took me about a year to figure out exactly what my role was as a board member. And of course, mm-hmm. I'm thinking, what a, what a shame that you have a talented board member committing volunteer time and energy, and then you didn't give them the orientation that you just described. And of course, for all that uh, documentation, if you will, an orientation, uh, that moment for mission uh, is powerful, and you're saying it should be built into the ongoing 
meeting structure, um, if not at your meetings or taking your meetings out into the community, which I think is fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, um, you know, just finding ways to, to build that into the culture, the, the, the connection to community, the mission moments, um, even, even if you, for those occasions where you don't go out to the community, having someone just do a report out in a board meeting um, about something that has happened since the last board meeting that spoke to the impact of the organization uh, on the community that it serves. Th those sorts of things can be really impactful um, and just reinforce the role of the board and, um, and, and reinforce the enthusiasm of the board members to, to, to stay engaged. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, Jim, is it fair to say board source, while its title implies it is a resource for board members, is your membership uh, a, a combination of board members and nonprofit executive directors? How would you describe your target audience as an organization? Well, I would say our, our target audience is the leadership of, of nonprofits. So it is, it is chief executives, it is board chairs, it's full boards. I would say that's, that's our target. Um, now we do find that we have members that are consultants or individual members or um, some, some are in the foundation space, some are even in the corporate space. Um, but we, we lead our, our focus, the focus of our energy and, and our, our uh, priorities is really around nonprofit leadership um, in that CEO, CEO space, board chair space, and more, more expensively, full boards. Uh, and of course, I have been a beneficiary myself of the resources your organization provides. And not only through its virtual resources and trainings and things like that, of course, we, uh, I guess we have to lift up, sadly, um, the Board Source Leadership Forum is a wonderful, I guess, every other year occasion. Uh, unfortunately, uh, when you have things in the middle of a pandemic, it's hard to <laughs> make them happen in live fashion. Talk about, Jim, what you all are doing uh, as you were to have a, a BLF, I guess, just what, last week, I guess it might have been in terms of the calendar. That's, that's exactly right. Um, we had planned um, to have our board source leadership forum, BLF, um, in St. Louis on May 7th and May 8th of this year. So just, just last, last weekend. Um, and uh, of course, given the, the situation with the pandemic, we, we, were, um, we had to cancel it. Um, and I know so many organizations have been in a similar boat where they had, they had events, planned for this spring time period and things have had to change. Um, so we, we canceled BLF and uh, of course, like everyone else, we're monitoring the status and, and the scope of the pandemic and, and, uh, and other external factors. And uh, we have not made any um, definitive decisions around where, where or when BLF might happen at this point. Um, we're just going to continue to monitor the situation and for now, I would say that the status for the next uh, next BLF is is to be determined. Yeah, that's only fair. But to your credit, you have kind of pivoted resources uh, throughout the organization to your website and to other forums, like you said, the Facebook Live and, and other methods for organizations to stay connected. Um, you talk, Jim, about, of course, the importance of diversity within our board and board leadership. Um, on the staff side, is that something else that Board Source has kind of begun to to look at or has been looking at? Um, in other words, I've hear I hear concerns about the talent pipeline in the nonprofit sector on the staff side, and wonder if you have seen some of that, and if Board Source is uh, looking to help address it. Well, we we certainly are looking to to help address it, um, particularly as it relates to um, the factors, the criteria that organizations use when um, they're, when they have open openings. Um, so as an example, um, for CEO openings, we, we want to make sure that organizations think expansively about the criteria that they use and don't use criteria that might disadvantage people of color who otherwise might be considered strong candidates. Right. 
Right. Thinking about criteria in a way that's equity focused in, in that at that level is certainly important. Um, and then beyond that, at, at a staffing level, um, making sure that the recruiting practices that organizations use um, are inclusive. As an example, um, making sure that when you have a posting that's available and open, that you've had that you've interviewed an, uh, a diverse pool of candidates. Right. And, and really not making sure that you don't make any decisions about hiring until you feel that you've really um, done, done all of your due diligence in terms of making sure that you have a, a diverse range of candidates that you've considered. Um, those sorts of things that speak to inclusivity, doing things perhaps differently than you've done them before can help to, um, to create uh, a greater pipeline, a talent pipeline of, of uh, candidates uh, that are from communities of color and ultimately ultimately make your staff more diverse over time as well. Well, Jim, you've been a wonderful advocate for everything BoardSource has to offer. Is, is there anything else you would lift up in terms of the value of, of your organization? And again, I'm grateful you're not trying to push membership or anything like that. The, the organization has free resources, which are fantastic, but I want to give you a chance to, to lift up board source for those that may not be as familiar with it. Sure, sure. Um, as you say, we, we do have lots of free resources on our site that um, are available to anyone, whether they are members or not. Um, with regard to the membership itself, I would just note that um, we provide um, so many things related to um, being able for organizations to be able to uh, perform assessments, um, to assess their performance um, through our board self-assessment tool, particularly, which is um, part of our, one of the features of our core membership program, which is the board support program. Um, I would also note, we have lots of services around coaching and consulting. Uh, we have experienced and, and highly respected um, team of consultants that works with nonprofits and foundations. Um, we have, as you mentioned earlier, the, uh, the, the board source leadership forum that happens every other year. Um, we also have, um, we also have a, a special event that's, a, that's for nonprofit CEOs and executive directors. And that is our executive retreat that we have on an annual basis. And it's a place for CEOs and exec directors to come together and have open and honest conversations about their relationships with their boards. And then, uh, we just have a, a calendar of of lots of educational trainings um, that are led by experts with helpful tools and, and tips on a, on a range of, of leadership um, project topics. That's wonderful. And I will absolutely lift them up on, perhaps we'll have multiple links in the show notes to make sure it's easy to navigate for someone wanting to explore board source. Uh, Jim, you've been a wonderful ambassador um, for that organization. Of course, your personal journey as I noted at the outset, is one that I think is a real uh, inspiration for folks considering nonprofit work. In fact, I guess my closing question to you as we move into that kind of final discussion here is other advice you might offer someone who approaches you now even about you know, the possibility of getting into nonprofit work. Uh, what advice would you offer them? You know, um, my advice would be to... Um, to get involved with an area for which you have a passion, uh, whether that's affordable housing or, or education or criminal justice, the environment, whatever the issue is, um, I believe you'll have more success if you find something that you have enthusiasm for and you'll find yourself, yourself energized and excited in a way that, um, that makes it feel like it's almost like it's not work. Um, the second piece of advice I would offer would be to really network you know, really reach out to individuals who have had careers or are carving paths that you want to model. Um, and in reaching out to them, I would, I would suggest, you know, doing your best, not just to ask for assistance, but also just bring some, uh, some indication that you've, you've done some homework on your own as well. You know, ask questions, bring new ideas, again, show passion for the work. Um, I'll, I'll insert a personal story of my own in, in this one. Um, uh, when I was working at Fannie Mae, I was at a, in a job that I, I didn't particularly love, but it was my first job in the organization. And I wanted to get over 
to the other side of the organization where I could do more external outreach. And I remember setting up an informational interview with someone um, who ended up becoming my boss and mentor for much of my career. And it was due to my initiation of that conversation. I reached out to, the, to a particular vice president, introduced myself and said, I really wanna get on your calendar. I, I'm really interested in what you're doing. Would love to learn more about what you do and tell you more about myself. And nice. that conversation didn't lead to a job immediately, but it led to a month later, him coming back to me and saying, I'm posting another position. I think you ought to, you ought to apply for it. And I did. <laughs> and, uh, and I, you know, there, there would have been no way, I, I think it would have been very unlikely that he would have taken that action to reach out to me if I hadn't made the first move in that instance. And so, Your proactivity paid off, didn't it? For sure, for sure. And, and I, I think it really sort of set the tone for everything else I've done um, since then. So I, I really believe in the power of networking and taking the initiative. And then the third thing I would just note beyond, you know, picking an area for which you have a passion and networking is to stay informed, you know, track emerging trends in the sector, um, whether it's related to diversity, inclusion, and equity, or, or fundraising, or advocacy, or, or partnership building, whatever it is, um, just stay abreast of the issues, um, and which will give you a better sense of where the opportunities may be today, or maybe just as importantly, where the opportunities are going to be. How do you, how do you prepare yourself for what's coming so that you can be positioned um, to capitalize uh, when that moment comes? That's such good advice. And uh, often our nonprofit colleagues, you know, they're naturally heads down trying to focus on the tasks at hand. But as you say, I think you got to keep your head up to be aware mm -hmm. of, of information and knowledge you can gather throughout your sector or the broader nonprofit community. For sure. For sure. Um, Jim, you've been wonderfully generous with your time and advice. May I ask of you one more parting gift for our listeners? <laughs> What's a good book sure. you're reading or have read or would recommend? Yeah, um, as I think about a book I'd recommend as it relates to uh, professional development, um, the book that comes back to me and that I, I've read and, and reviewed several times at different points in my career um, is The First 90 Days um, by Michael Watkins. And the reason I like that book so much is because those first 90 days in any new role are kind of a tone setter. Um, it's where you and your boss begin to connect, you and your colleagues, um, you and the organization are just getting to know each other. Um, so, so there's a really important, there's real importance to getting off to a, a good start um, because that good start can be the tone setter for, for the long-term experience that you hope to have there. It's also the first time, the first chance you get to sort of prove yourself so um, I, I appreciate a lot of the advice in that book around taking the time to learn and not, not going straight to the action phase too fast before you've really taken in the entire sort of environment of the organization and the context right. that it's operating. Um, you know, not setting unrealistic expectations for yourself in the beginning, just really getting settled, getting acclimated, um, and, um, and then focusing on the relationship with your boss. Um, focusing on the, on, on the relationship with your boss, but not disregarding the horizontal sorts of relationships with your colleagues either, because you're going to need to have those co collaborative skills, those, the, the ability, to, ability to work cross-functionally um, in, in partnership with stakeholders inside the organization in order to, to really be successful and to build the sort of reputation and um, sort of feeling of, of collaboration that you want to have in the organization. So those sorts of things are the things I, I really like about that book and the way that it really provides a lot of tactical information about how you can um, put those principles in, into action. I could not agree more. It is easily the book that I have given as a gift more than any other uh, as friends and colleagues have started new positions. And Jim, I've also found it valuable for the hiring manager mm -hmm. to read it because yeah. I think it provides dialogue, you know, to help, as you just said, make the new arrival more successful if their boss is reading it <laughs> as well yeah. as the person arriving. 
I totally agree. Totally agree. And I, another thing I like about it is I think it's applicable regardless of the level um, of the position that you're going, going into. I, I think it's, it's written, written for leaders, but leaders can, is, can be defined so broadly. Um, we're, I think we're all leaders in some way. And um, those principles can be applicable if you're in a senior position, a mid-level position, a more junior position. I think there's something in there for, for everyone. Yeah, well put. And again, very grateful for your time, Jim. Um, I will put in the show notes every of these resources I can uh, think of that you have mm -hmm. added. Is there anywhere else you'd like to send our listeners um, to, to learn more about you and the good work you're doing at BoardSource? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, I, I would just invite our, our listeners to, um, to go to BoardSource.org and find all of our resources around not only COVID-19, but just more broadly, the resources that speak to, to leadership and governance um, in, in so many different aspects um, of nonprofit leadership. And, and so, uh, yeah, just going to that site and uh, you'll, you'll find what you need because we just have, we, we try to be quite comprehensive in addressing the needs and priorities and concerns uh, of the nonprofit sector. Jim, that's fantastic. Thank you again for joining me on the path. Thank you so much, Pat, and I've, I've enjoyed it so much. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Jim as much as I did and came away with some practical ideas that can guide your professional journey and in particular enhance your organization's strategy as it deals with COVID-19. Don't forget to check the show notes. They're available on our website at patentmcdowell.com where you can find out more about the resources and links that Jim and I discussed. As always, I'm grateful if you would share this episode with someone else on the path. And if you haven't already, consider subscribing. Just go to the podcast page at patmcdowell.com and you'll see links to all of the primary podcast platforms. Don't miss out any of our weekly Thursday episodes, as well as the bonus features like this one that we've got lined up every month. Thanks for all you're doing for the nonprofit sector, especially right now. And keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time on The Path.